Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. We are starting a new series called The Promised Messiah. And in this series, what I want us to do and see is that God has made promises to us, and God is a God who keeps his promises. And the greatest promise that he has ever made is that he sent a Savior to us. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. See, we don't celebrate Christmas because it comes around every year. Maybe that's why the world celebrates Christmas. But as followers of Jesus, we celebrate Christmas because it's significant to our faith. See, the Christmas story doesn't actually start in the New Testament with Adam and Eve. And I know this time of year, we read uh, the Christmas story or we hear the Christmas story out of Matthew or out of Luke. We've done series here in those uh, chapters, in those books around this time. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that it's wrong, but the Christmas story is more than just about a baby being born. It's understanding that, yes, Jesus came as a baby, but he died as a man, the God man, God in human flesh. He lived, he died, he rose again, conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave. And if we believe in him, we'll be free from the sin in our lives. See, the coming of Jesus is more than just about the birth of a baby. It's about a fulfillment of a promise that Jesus, or that God is going to send his son to us, Jesus, and Jesus is going to crush our enemy. See, believe it or not, the Christmas story actually starts in Genesis. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to be in the Old Testament looking at the fact that Jesus is this promised Messiah. And this week I was thinking about promises and I I was thinking about promises that we all have made, promises that I've made, promises that I've broken. You could probably think of promises you've made, promises you've broken in your lifetime. I was thinking even about promises that you've made in this room. For some of you here today, you're in the military and you made a promise to serve our country. And as someone who's had uh, military servicemen in our family, And someone who hasn't served, I'm very grateful for those of you who have served, who have made that promise to serve our country. For others of you here today, you're married and you've made a promise to each other and in front of God that you're going to love each other, that you're going to care for one another, that you're going to serve one another, maybe make breakfast in bed every once in a while. I'm looking at my wife there, you know? (laughs) Yeah, no, no, you're wrong. No, it's the other way around, Jeremiah. Uh, But... uh, (laughs) Uh, but, you know, you're going to care for one another, love one another, cherish one another, until death do you part. It's sickness and health, right? You made a promise to one another. You, you made, if you're here today and you bought a house, you made a promise that at some point in time, you made a promissory note, hey, I'm going to pay back this loan amount sometime in my life. If you're here today and you have kids and your kids act a fool, they're disobeying you, right? They're not listening to what you're saying. If you're like me, you don't make threats, right? You don't go, oh, now you better shape up on one, two, two and a half, two and three quarters. No, you make promises, right? Like I don't make threats. I make promises that if you don't shape up, a punishment is coming your way. But spiritually, we've also made promises. If you've been baptized here at Awaken and, and you've gone in and you've gone public with your faith, what you're doing is in front of everybody here, in front of your family, your, your church family, you've said, hey, I am promising to live my life as a follower of Jesus. Baptism doesn't save you. It points to the one who does save you. But you're saying, when I go under this water, I once was dead in my sin, but as I come up, I'm alive in Christ. I'm a new creation in Christ. Uh, if you call Awaken Church your home church, you made a promise, not to me, 
to God and to one another, that you're going to serve one another, love one another, care for one another. We all understand the words, I promise. And sometimes we make promises, and sometimes we make them with the, be- with the best intentions, and for one reason or another, we sometimes fail to keep those promises. This week, I see ads on social media, ads on TV, these things promising to give your, your kids the Christmas of a lifetime, a Christmas they'll always remember. There's so many products and ads that are promising to give us what we long for most in life, but we all know that they fail to deliver on that promise. But here's the good news for us today. We serve a God who makes promises, and he also keeps his promises. In fact, the title of today's message is God's Promise to Crush Our Enemy. God's Promise to Crush Our Enemy. So if you have a Bible today, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is where we're going to be. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 15 today. And if you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you, grab your smartphone, download the YouVersion Bible app. We don't have a bulletin here, so grab that um, uh, YouVersion Bible app. You can take notes there, follow along with the outline that we have uh, there as well on, on the app. Now, before we get into God's promise to crush our enemy, we need to have some context before we jump into Genesis chapter 3. See, what we're dealing with when we read these verses here in Genesis is an historical event. It's an historical event that determined the destiny of mankind. See, before there was time, before there was anything, there was one God. It was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God made everything. He made the world. He made the planets. He made the people, the angels, everything that we have. He made us for his glory. He made us so that we can know him and love him and to be known and loved by him. And so when you open up Genesis and you start reading the first two chapters, you read that God lit up the darkness, that he filled everything, the emptiness, he filled it all up. He made things that are beautiful, delightful, enjoyable, attractive. And then we continue to read that God made Adam out of the dust of the earth. And then he looked at Adam and he was like, well, this isn't good. I need to make a helper suitable to him. And so he took a rib out of the side of Adam and he formed Eve. Now, the way that I think about it up until this point is that uh, everything is beautiful right now. Everything is great. The sun is out. Adam and Eve are enjoying all the fruits of the trees out there. They're hanging out with the animals. They're enjoying time with their creator. It's all good. God gave Adam and Eve everything to enjoy, but he also gave them a choice. A choice in the form of a tree. And the choice would be simply this. Would they believe God's word and would they trust God's plan? And really, we're all faced with the same decision, the same question today. Will we believe God's word and will we trust God's plans for our lives? Or will we do whatever we want to do and believe whatever we want to believe? So this choice is given to them. Not because it seemed like a really good idea, but because they are accountable to God. Because God has plans and designs, and he knows how things should be lived best. How do we know this? How do we know that God knows best how life is to be lived? Well, again, all we need to do is go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and see. He created everything, so he does know how life is to be lived. But then here in Genesis chapter 3, we see that it all goes downhill. We see here how uh, sin and death and Satan all come in. In chapter 3, we see how we got in the position that we're in of sin and death, and we're going to see how we can get out of it. 
It's here that we understand the promise of Jesus. And really, this is the beginning of the Christmas story. And this is important as we go through the Christmas season, because for some of you, you're like, this isn't going to feel very much like a Christmas series or a Christmas message. Like, but it's important for us to know this as we go into the Christmas season, because we need to be reminded that even in the middle of all the glitter and all the lights and all the excitement and all the songs and all the food and all the gift exchanges, we need to understand that there is an enemy that wants nothing more than to undercut your spiritual life. So we need to be reminded today that Christmas is about our enemy being crushed by our Savior, Jesus. So here's what we're going to do today. We're just going to walk through this passage. I'll give some kind of thoughts and notes for us as we kind of walk through this. And then at the very end, I want to give us two thoughts as we head into this Christmas season. So Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Look at what it says. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now, here's what we know. We know that God made two kinds of beings. He made spirit beings called angels, and he made human beings. And the Bible tells us that one-third of the angels joined in with this lead angel named Satan. And Satan declared war on God. And the Bible says that one-third of these angels aligned with Satan, and they were basically kicked out of heaven. Here's what this means. They lost. And so this great conflict in heaven now spills down into earth, into human history. And here's a few things that you need to know about this serpent. One is that this serpent is Satan. He is our enemy. How do we know this? Well, we can go to the very end of the book to find out who is being talked about in the beginning of the book. If you go to Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, you see that this is Satan. If you go to Revelation 20, verse 2, again, it all points back to this moment here in Genesis chapter 3. Second, when he shows up, he's cunning, he's crafty, he's, he's uh, sneaky here. See, Satan is a very serious enemy. Why? Because he's smarter than we are. He has more experience. He's been observing human history and human conduct since the beginning. He understands people better than people understand themselves. He understands how human interactions work. He understands how human motivation works. He's very skillful at what he does. And he doesn't come to us in a threatening way. On this occasion, he came as a serpent an animal that would have been under the authority of Adam and Eve as heads of the human race. He came as something harmless, simple, not frightening or terrifying at all. And then continuing in verse one, we see that we see the first question asked in all of human history. And it's kind of a Bible trivia question. He asked the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, for some of us, we need to know the context. We need to know, well, what did God actually say? Well, we need to go back. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. We'll see the command that God had given the man. He says this in verse 16. You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So we see that God basically has one rule. Hey, guess what? Have a great time. Enjoy your life. Eat from all the trees, but don't kill yourself. Don't eat from that one tree. But Satan comes in. And what, and what Satan wants to do is he wants Adam and Eve to focus on not all the goodness that God has given them, but on the one thing that God has forbidden. One thing that God has even restricted. See, some of us, we overlook all the freedom that God gives us. And we're stuck on the one or two things that God has forbidden. I see it all the time. But Satan comes in and he twists, he manipulates God's word 
That's how he works. See, that's why it's so important for us to know our Bibles. It's important that we are abiding with Christ in our time. Yes, go to groups, study the Bible with people. Come to church, hear the Bible. Come study the Bible with us. But it's important for you to be studying the Bible on your own, reading God's word, to know what it says, because we need to be people who knows when God speaks, what God says, we need to know what he says. We need to know that the enemy is going to come in and slightly alter the meaning of what God says. And so we need to recognize truth from error. And so this woman has a conversation with the serpent. Shouldn't have had the conversation, but she does. She should have just walked away. But look at what she says in verse two. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the tree of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, previously, did we read that you shouldn't touch it? It's not what God said, right? We don't know why Eve added this. Maybe she was a little intimidated talking to the serpent. Maybe, uh, you know, she just got a little tongue-tied and just added to it. Maybe it was because Adam is a bad Bible teacher. You know, if you think about it, God made Adam and he was supposed to command all the things. He was supposed to pass this down. And so clearly he didn't do a very good job of this. And so Satan comes out and he directly contradicts God. And in verse four, look at what he says. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. In essence, this is what he's saying. Hey, guess what? God's a liar. God doesn't know what he's talking about. But in John chapter eight, I think it's verse 44 or 45. It says that Jesus says, Satan is a liar. That Satan is the father of all lies. When God speaks, Satan contradicts him. And so again, we need to be people who know what we believe and what to reject. See, the man and the woman, they have a choice. Will we believe God? Or will we believe Satan? And then we come to the temptation in verse five. It says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, Satan fell because of pride. And what he's saying is God is holding you back. See, pride is a sin. Pride is the root of all sin. Pride is when we think that we are better than we are, when we're smarter than we are, when we think we're just as good of a God as the real God. And all of this is the source of our troubles. When we have faith in ourselves, when we should have faith in the God who made us. So what is the serpent trying to do here? He's seeking to tempt the woman to distrust God and to say, well, God doesn't really know what he's talking about. He doesn't really know what he's doing. He's trying to get her to doubt the word of God and to question the goodness of God. And listen, it's still true today. The enemy will come to you and say, well, God is robbing you actually of a really fabulous life. If you really want to feel fulfilled, if you really want to be happy, that's not going to be found in the boundaries that God has set. Here's what the enemy would say to us. If God has not provided something for you, will you go and you get it yourself? If God hasn't provided you a husband, guess what? You go and you get yourself one. If God hasn't provided you a wife, you go and you get yourself one. If God hasn't provided enough money for you, will you go and you get yourself some more money? If God hasn't provided enough sex for you, will you go and you get yourself some? If God hasn't provided a high for you, well, then you go and you find one. Whatever God doesn't provide, you be your own God and you go get it. Because you're a good person. You know what you want. You know what you need. You know that you can love yourself. You know that you can fix yourself. You know that you can save yourself. Satan would come in and say, you are just as good of a God as that God is. He's holding you back. 
But listen, you need to remember, God gave a lot of freedom in there. God gives us freedom. He wants us to enjoy life. But when he gives restrictions, it's not because he wants to rob us of all the joy and the pleasure of doing whatever it is that we want to do. He just knows best how life is to be lived. He doesn't want us to hurt ourselves. So if there's even just a little pride in you, the enemy will bait that hook until he reels you in. Listen, you have an enemy. You are in the midst of a war. And the greatest threat that you have is yourself because of pride. The lie of the serpent was far more appealing than the word of God. So Eve is contemplating this temptation. And then look at what happens in verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. See, she did the one thing God said, hey, don't do that. And because she did it, human history is marked by sin. And where is Adam when all this is going on? Seems like he's right beside her and he's doing nothing. He watched as Satan came in, attacked the credibility of God's word. He saw his wife step forward, dive into sin. And then he was like, hey, this looks good. I think I'll take in, or partake in some sin as well. Listen, Eve listens to the serpent. Adam listens to Eve and nobody listens to God. Verse seven, then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. See, before this, they were naked without shame. Now they're naked with shame. See, the rest of human history from this point forward is all about fig leaves. So what's the significance of this? What's the point of all this? It's that sin changes everything. Sin changes everything. Now they're exposed. Their nakedness was simply a symbol of their mess before God. It was an awareness of their guilt. The serpent's promise was about their eyes being open. His promise was only about half right. Because their eyes were open, but not to be like God, like he promised. Their eyes are now open to their awareness of their guilt and of their shame. And all of a sudden, they see themselves in an entirely different light. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This week, as I was reading this, it reminded me of when I was a kid and, you know, I'd hear my parents walking down the hallway when I was playing my Game Boy at night, you know, right there when I shouldn't have been playing it. I would hear them coming down and I would turn it off real quick, hide it under my pillow and pretend to be asleep, you know. I don't know how many of you parents, you punish your kids this way. You tell them, hey, go stand in the corner. Well, in our house, um, there was a corner that I always sat in, but the carpet was coming up in the corner. And so you know what I did? I stuffed little toys right there. And so when I was being bad and I was sent to the corner, I just lifted up the carpet and I played with the toys right there, you know? And then when I would hear my parents coming down the hallway, I'd put everything back and I'd just be like, oh, you know, like I'm so sad, you know? <laughs> it is awful, but it's, it's true, you know? And so I did that. And when they came, I'd put everything away. And they're like, what are you doing? Nothing, just having a good time. I do this with my own kids. They may or may not hear me. And I walk into their room and they're like, oh, we're not doing anything wrong. I'm like, well, but you're giving away a, suspi a suspicious vibe here. You know, like, what are you doing? Nothing at all. And we all do this. 
And here comes God the Father, and the first thing Adam does is he runs and he hides behind a tree. Now, does this seem foolish to anybody else? Like the all-knowing, all-seeing God of the universe is coming, and Adam's like, hey, you know what? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to hide behind this tree right here. God will never find me, you know? Here's the point. When we sin, we're not in our right minds. We're not rational. We're not logical. And Adam thinks, oh, I'll just hide behind this tree. I'll hide behind this bush. I'll stand still. God will never see me. He'll never find me here. See, instead of running behind a tree, Adam should have run to God in repentance. And now we're getting to the good news here in verse 9. It says, but the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? Now, obviously, this is a rhetorical question. He knows where Adam is, but why is he asking Why is he asking, where are you at? Why are you hiding from me? Why have you separated yourself from me? What are you doing? See, the reason why God calls out to him is not because he doesn't know where they are. He's calling out to them to bring them to a place of accountability. Verse 10, Adam answers, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself from you. This is the first time fear occurs in the Bible. He has fear because he is in unrepentant sin. Verse 11, God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Now I want you to notice in verse 11, God doesn't ever give suggestions. God doesn't give recommendations written in pencil. God gives commands. And he's like, hey, did you do what I told you not to do? Again, this is a perfect time for Adam to repent Say, God, I'm sorry, I sinned, it's my fault. But he doesn't. What does he do? He does what we all do. He blame shifts. He tries to justify, excuse his disobedience. Verse 12, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Adam's like, hey, God, you remember? Like, remember when you created me? It was all good when it was just you and I, you know, but she's the problem. It's when you gave me that woman, like, you know, we were just hanging out. I was eating some fruit, you know, we were having a good time. But then the next thing I know, we're eating forbidden fruit and we're wearing clothes. I don't know what's going on, God. You need to go and talk to Eve. Here's what Adam's doing. He's trying to play the victim. He says, God, take it up with Eve. So God moves to Eve. He's got more questions in verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I Eight. You know, there's a popular thing, not today, Satan, right? We got the mugs, the t-shirts, and all of that. Listen, Satan doesn't make you do anything. He'll give you what you want, but he doesn't make you do anything. Satan tempted her pride. He appeals to her intellect, to her emotions, to her design and her desire for things for the way they should be. You can't blame the devil. You can't blame your spouse. You can't blame the Lord. When you sin, it's our fault. It's your fault. It's my fault. But here's what we're seeing. In pride, we can't accept that fact. We'll try to justify ourselves and blame anyone. So now the Lord starts dealing out the consequences. In verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. There's no opportunity for redemption for Satan and the demons. They're cursed. 
And then we get, in verse 15, we get the first gospel. This is the promise of redemption for this man and this woman. And this is really where the Christmas story begins. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And here's the good news. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, I like how the NIV puts this verse, how it translates it, because I think it allows us to understand the weight just a little bit more of what God is saying here. In the NIV, verse 15, it says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Here is the good news of Christmas, that Jesus will come, and he will crush the head of our enemy. See, Satan, the serpent, will do bodily harm to him. Satan will come and just bite at him, bite at his heels, do great injury to him on the cross. But ultimately, Jesus is victorious and he is going to crush our enemy. See, everything's a mess. If you continue to read further on here, you see that Adam and Eve, there's consequences to their decisions. There's consequences to the choices that they have made. But everything's a mess right now. You know, there's sin, there's death, there's vision, there's separation, there's lies, there's darkness. Adam and Eve are, are cast out in the wilderness. They're separated from God now. But even though everything's a mess, God speaks right in the middle of it. And he says, I will save you both. I will fix the mess that you've made. I will come as the Lord Jesus Christ and I will take back all that you've lost. See, the Christmas story is more than just about a baby being born. It's about the fulfillment of a promise that God is going to send his son to us and that Jesus is going to crush the head of our enemy. Again, God is a God who keeps his promises and that's the hope of Christmas. And so as we close, I wanna give us just two thoughts as we head in. We've got 22 days left till Christmas and so we've got just, uh, I wanna give us two thoughts as we head into this season. The first one is this, that God finds us even when we're hiding. God finds us even when we're hiding. Now, you all are smart people. So I know that you know this, that we cannot hide from God. So what does this word hiding mean? Well, if you look it up in its original form, the word hiding means to withdraw from God. Now, here's how that looks for a number of us today. For some of us, we're hiding from God in plain sight. Here's what I mean by that. For some of us, we come in here, we're carrying our Bibles we can quote a couple of verses. We'll sing some songs. You know, we might even come back later tonight to the, to the worship night and we'll sing some more songs. We get into a group. We might give. We, we like to uh, come to church and all that. Religion is probably one of the most popular fig leaves for many of us because we can blend right in even though we might have drifted or withdrawn from God. There have been times that I know people have left here because they've told me, well, I don't like what you say there. Those things are unloving. I'm going to go leave. People don't like to come to a church like this where we're confronted with the truth of who we are and the truth of who God is. And so what do they do? They don't come to church because they like to hide from God. They don't, want to, they don't want God to point out anything or they'll go to another church that maybe doesn't teach the full gospel because they feel good about themselves because they're not really confronted with their sin and with who they are. Another way to look at this is there's a hardness towards God. Maybe something happened to you this last year. And you're wondering, well, why would God allow that? Why would God do this? Wouldn't God think this through in, in my life right now? Like, why do I have to go through the season of sickness and death and, and whatever it is that you're going through? You're like, why is God making me go through this right now? 
In our hearts, we can become hardened to God and we hide from him. But God will find us. Even when we withdraw, even when we try to blend in, even when our hearts are hard toward him. But you know, some of you are here today and you don't know God. Every religion of the world would say, hey, you got to find God. You got to do enough things to get his attention. And if you do enough religious things, you'll get his approval. And if you live your life right, then you might make it into heaven. But the Christmas story is about God who takes the initiative to find us and desires a relationship with us. The good news of Christmas is this, that when we sin and when we run and when we hide from God, God doesn't let us go. God let the serpent go, but he doesn't let us go. God is the one who pursues us. God is the one who calls out to us. And just as God came calling for Adam, Jesus comes into human history looking for us. God loves us so much that even when we're allowed to run into, when we should be allowed to run into sin and death and when we wanted nothing at all with God, God chose to pursue us. Christmas is more than just about a baby. It's about a God who will crush the enemy and send a baby to us to do that. And here's the last one. God will cover our shame. God will cover our shame with the sacrifice of Jesus. You know, if you keep reading, well, if you notice in verse 7, it says that Adam and Eve made fig leaves and sewed them together to make loincloths, right? But what's going to happen to fig leaves? They're going to crush, they're going to break, they're going to have to keep redoing it. They're going to have to keep covering it up. Well, as you read in verse 21, um, it seems like there's an animal sacrifice there, the shedding of blood to cover Adam and Eve that God does. But it's not going to be permanent. You read all throughout the Old Testament, it couldn't happen. It, it was not a permanent solution. And so what Jesus, what God was going to do to fulfill the Genesis 3.15 promise is that he would fulfill it through a woman named Mary. And Mary would give birth to this promised son, Jesus. And in Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul calls Jesus the second Adam. See, the first Adam failed. The second Adam, Jesus, succeeds. And so the Bible says that Jesus was led out into the wilderness, out into the desert, and what's so cool about this is that Jesus is picking up the story where the first Adam left off. The first Adam sinned and was cast out into this desert, into this wilderness. And now Jesus is led out to, to pick up where the first Adam left off. And Jesus is there for 40 days and 40 nights. And you know who comes to the second Adam? Serpent. Satan, the enemy. He comes to him. He tempts Jesus just like he did Adam and Eve with pride. Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth. And, and he says, you know what, Jesus? If you, you, you can rule and reign over everything. You don't need to suffer. You don't need to go to the cross and die. You don't need to do any of those things. All you need to do is just bow down and worship me. See, the first Adam allowed the serpent to speak. Now Jesus steps in and he speaks. The first Adam allowed the word of God to be misquoted. Satan, again, in his temptation of Jesus, he's misquoting scripture, but now Jesus steps in and he puts it in the right context. And all throughout Jesus's life and ministry, you see that the serpent keeps coming in and he keeps biting at his heel. Finally, Satan thought he won because Jesus was betrayed. He was falsely accused and murdered on the cross for us. Jesus took on all the sin of any sin that we did past, present, and future on that cross. 
And he paid the penalty for our sin as a substitute. And when Jesus said the words, it is finished, that was not a declaration of defeat. It was a declaration of victory. And on that day, Jesus triumphed over sin, crushed Satan, crushing him, defeating him on that cross. And anybody who would believe in him and trust in him and turn from their sins and and follow Jesus were saved and loved on that day. And so just as Satan had set up the first Adam to use him for his purposes, Jesus sets up Satan and uses him for his purpose to turn what he meant for evil for good. And Jesus rose three days later. And one day, Jesus is coming back. And just as God went looking for Adam, Jesus comes looking for us. And so as we close today, I want to ask you the same question that God asked Adam in Genesis. Where are you? Where are you today? Are you trying to cover yourself up with religion? You trying to hide from God by saying, you know what, I'm just not going to come back or I'll, I'll find another place where I feel a little bit better about what I do because they'll, they'll accept me. They'll, they'll take me just as I am. You know, I could still live this way. I could still live in sin. So that's why I'll go to that church and, and hang out there or I'll just not show up. Are you hiding from God right now? Maybe for you today, you're just not a follower of Jesus. And today God would say, where are you? The same God that invited Adam and Eve to repentance invites you to repentance as well. That's the Christmas story. And that's why we celebrate going into this Christmas season. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.